Next, on our weekly mix of special programs and homemade radio features. Hey, Katie. Yeah. Uh, I saw Simba walking slow. Do you know what I said to him? What? Some public radio hour fun and silliness. Some serious things, but mostly music and laughter. <laughs> we'll meet Huntsville comedian Raina Cahill as she visits the Arts Underground. We'll also meet the Warren Treaty, helping kick off this weekend's panoply on Friday night. It didn't matter where it's all over the world to come together for a common purpose, peace through music. And there's exciting news swirling around the conductor of the world champion choir. A new choral group spread its wings recently at the Live from London Festival. Back in 2001, I did my graduate recital, and those members literally begged me to keep that group together as a thing. And, you know, I was young at the time and just didn't see how it could happen, so I said no. So here we are 20 years later. So grab some snacks and a comfy spot to listen. The Public Radio Hour is next. One, two, three, and... This is the Public Radio Hour, produced in the studios of 89.3 WLRA Tunstall Public Radio. Local voices brought to you by local donations to us, your local public radio station. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Brett Tannehill. Lots of music and laughter in the next hour, so stay tuned to have your spirits lifted. Later in the show, Morning Blend host Dory Nutt visits with conductor and composer extraordinaire Dr. Jason Max Ferdinand, who directs the World Choir Champions, the Aeolians of Oakwood University here in Huntsville. He's also launched a transformative new choral effort called the Jason Max Ferdinand Singers, who just performed at the Live from London Festival. We'll hear about that. Katie Ganaway, who is now also hosting the Arts Underground Saturdays at 2, will help us get inspired for a taste of panoply this weekend. Saturday and Sunday are packed with local music and art and are open to the public. Friday night is a ticketed event featuring music from the Lamont Landers Band and Nashville-based husband and wife duo The War and Treaty. The War and Treaty spoke with Katie on the Arts Underground and we'll hear their conversation. Something else cool happening on the Arts Underground with Katie Ganaway is a new series highlighting Huntsville's comedy scene titled Funny You Should Ask. The most recent guest is Raina Cahill. She spoke with Katie about realizing her natural talent and her successful endeavors in creating local comedy shows. Raina says she'll never forget the first time she saw stand-up comedy. Honestly, the very first stand-up I ever remember watching, which is not my style now at all, was the Blue Collar Comedy Tour okay. with with Larry the Cable Guy and Bill Ingvall mm-hmm. and Jeff Foxworthy and Ron White. Um, I thought they were hilarious, but um, honestly, I think it was more uh, like sketch comedy, in, like from Mad TV and Saturday Night Live. I think those were my, like, that's really what, um, what, steered me towards comedy um so but I prefer stand-up over sketch comedy um so yeah that's that's probably what got me into it the most so you looked at it and said that's what I want to do right yeah and being bullied in school you know okay okay (laughs) you know like just having to to learn how to defend yourself and and make fun of yourself like that's that's kind of how I found my path Mm -hmm. so I want to know what gave you the courage to sort of take that big, giant leap into comedy, like your first gig? What drove you there? It, it is a giant leap. It's funny that you say that because I was told for so long that I should do stand-up comedy. Um, and I didn't feel like I was funny enough. I didn't feel like I would ever, uh, you know, I would ever be good at it. Why was that? Um, why, why was that? Yeah. Um, I just... 
you know how some really pretty people don't realize how pretty they are? I never thought that I was that funny. Oh, okay. I never I, I never intentionally made jokes to be funny. I mean, I would make, of course, I would know when something was funny, people would laugh, but I just didn't feel like, I guess it was kind of effortless in some ways. And so, and so I didn't realize how funny I was to other people. And I thought everybody was funny. I was like, oh, everybody's funny. I'm no different than anybody else. Um, I had a best friend. Um, her name was uh, Paige Johnson. She's moved away now, but she really believed in how funny I was. Um, and she did the research. She was like, stand up live, does an open mic like once a month. And this was a year ago. She was like, it's this date, this time, I'll go with you. So the first time I went to stand up live at an open mic, I did not sign up for the open mic. I just wanted to kind of scope out what it was like. And then I was like, okay. So the next month, uh, which was December, I believe, they had an open mic. And I went to it and um, I did my first three minutes and it went over um, pretty well, I think, for a first time. And I was just like, oh, my God, I love this. Like, I want to do this You're every hooked. day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another, I know you said that you talked about sketch comedy. That wasn't your favorite thing to do. But you are part of another comedy scene that I see you in a whole lot, which is that shenanigans comedy theater yes. doing improv. And that requires you to put on hilarious shows and competitions, even like the improv Thunderdome and yes. shows like that. So can you talk about keeping the stand up muscle strong versus keeping the improv muscle strong? What are the challenges there? I think they keep each other strong, if that makes any sense. Um, they coincide I, a little bit? Yes, okay. very much. I actually joined improv because I, I knew it would help my comedy. A lot of successful comedians, um, they, they're able to riff with the crowd. They're able to, to relate to people in the crowd and think on their feet. And I knew that improv would help that. So that's why I joined improv in the first place. And then I guess I would just say like, having kind of previous stories or seeing things, you know, jokes that you kind of already have that might help you in an improv situation. Um, so I definitely think that they help each other and stage presence. They help each other for sure. And then that's talking about actual shows that you are part of where people pay to get in. So open mics are another way that you mentioned, like at stand up live for you to keep that muscle strong, as I mentioned before. And I want to know from your perspective as the comedian, what is the difference between an audience at an open mic show and a show that people have to pay to get into? So I, I don't I wouldn't say there's necessarily a difference in the audience. Okay. Um, typically at an open mic, your audience is going to be smaller. And depending on where you're at an open mic, they might they might not be paying attention. But there are some shows where you know, it might be a bar and not a club or the people might not be aware of a show and people aren't paying attention then either. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> the biggest thing is, of course, at a show, the, the material you're using is is your good material, your polished material. It all has a place. And then at open mics, that's your time to be like, Sharpen it. I'm going to fail. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, OK, I'm going to I have this joke in my head. It sounds really stupid. Let me see how stupid it actually is. Like, <laughs> Um, like last night, I had some really kind of absurd humor that I wanted to try out and it didn't go well. So now I know I need to rewrite it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say that it's, you know, it shows you have a, a better chance of having a good crowd 
because sometimes they know that they're there for a show, but just kind of um, because a lot of comedy in Huntsville right now is located in bars and we don't have, other than Shenanigans, which is a wonderful comedy theater, um, and uh, Stand Up Live, other places aren't really set up for that um, all the time. So we definitely need a sort of expansion of performance spaces for comedians um, what do you think? I mean I think it would be great but also uh, I mean th- there are some you just don't get as many shows I know stand up live they're doing a few showcases right now um, they're not they haven't been doing any open mics I mean the, just the pandemic has made it really hard uh, it's been hard on the comedy scene and that was my first year in comedy was during the pandemic so mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly I might be speaking out of turn I might not know a lot that that you know seasoned comedians in the area know because um my first experience in comedy was December 2019 and then, <laughs> and then here we are now so and being a brand new comic you're not going to be invited on shows <laughs> very often <laughs> I'm interested to know What is a memory from a show that you've performed at that stands out in your mind for one reason or another? It could be like a heckler, it could be um, just something that really made you feel great afterward or anything. Oh, man. I would say my best memory on stage to date, there was an open mic at Maggie Myers that I think I just feel like I really nailed my material Um, I did riff with the crowd a little bit and there were some out of town comedians that were really funny and I, you know, I respected them as comedians and they thought I was funny. You know, anytime that I see a comedian, I respect like, I mean, I respect all the comedians in the local area. (laughs) Let me, let me clarify that. I don't disrespect anybody, but like, you know, some people that you're just like, they're so funny. I can't wait to be at that level. Like there are people that I feel like are, are levels above me that are complimenting me and I, I thrive on that. And it it gives me, you know, it gives me that that momentum to keep keep working harder on my material and keep hitting open mics and stuff like that. So it was probably um, an open mic at Maggie Myers. And I think it was after I got COVID and and had healed up and everything. Before I got COVID, I had performed there uh, as a feature for uh, Olivia Searcy and Andrew Ferreira. They're hilarious. And I had featured for them and I did the same set and I did well, but then when I did it a few months later, maybe it was because I was stuck in quarantine for so long after having (laughs) COVID that I was just like ready to get back out there. And I just, I killed my set. I was like, this is great. I nailed every bit of it. My timing was on point and you'll have people heckle you a little bit. And I don't mind a little heckling because you know, you can I, handle them? yes, it's a, it, it's a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Like I want people to kind of heckle me sometimes so that I know I can handle whatever's going to come at me. But it's not an open invitation for anybody to go out to your show and just, yeah, don't, don't be disrespectful. You. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't be disrespectful. But, and, and some comedians hate it. Mm. And it's not something that I wish people like, it's not like, oh, everybody should do this. I don't wish people would do it, but I don't mind it because I feel like it's making me better as a comedian. And that kind of is also where improv comes into play. Whenever, you know, you're, you're doing an improv show, you're given suggestions from the audience and then you have to act on those. So, um, so it helps. Um, that's another example of how they kind of support each other. But yeah, that would probably be my best memory uh, to date right now right. Of, of my comedy. And I want to know also, before a show, do you have a pre-show ritual or routine um, in the green room? 
I prepare the entire day before a show. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and and it's not like I, I wouldn't even say it's hard preparing, but I try to not have anything to do the day of a show. Um, if it's a Friday, there's not much you can do about that. You know, usually I'm working or something. But if it's a Saturday, I try to stay at home. Um, I try to go over my set. Um, I'll record the material I want to use over and over, and I'll time it. And even though I probably shouldn't on the day of the show, I might start moving material around. I might start, I'm going to put this here tonight and cause I think it's going to fit better here. So yeah, I think I prepare kind of the entire day, <laughs> not just in the group. By the time I get in the green room and there are other people around me, I know that I can't focus. I know that I won't mm-hmm. be able to work on my material. So, um, so yeah, I prepare before I get there. <laughs> Just because I know me, I won't I won't concentrate on anything if mm-hmm. I have people around me talking and, and everything. So I, I would probably be the same way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, who makes you laugh the most in life? In life? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My uh, my my brother and my sister in law, we're, we're all we're very similar people. We're kind of um, three different people with the same personality in a lot of ways. And I laugh with them a lot. Um, my sister in law and I, I wish we were actual sisters. She's just we're really close mm-hmm. and she is just really silly. Yeah. And um, I, I guess them and then my boyfriend and I, we cut up all the time uh, <laughs> I uh I like to act really di- like really ridiculous and then he just kind of makes fun of me so <laughs> and then that makes me laugh so I guess that would be you know and then if you're looking at the comedy scene yeah who's who's a comedian we should be watching out for here oh, gosh. locally or I mean I think a, a lot of people that are familiar with the comedy scene are familiar with Scott Eason he's hilarious yes. obviously yes I would say Carl Paul might be one of my favorite comedians. Very um, deadpan. I love yes, Carl. And yes. De- yes, and delivery is just, it's so unique. Mm-hmm. I feel like, honestly, anything that comes out of his mouth could be hilarious. But his writing is is wonderful, too, because he writes in a way that fits his technique. And it is just, I, I don't think I, I've ever seen Carl go on stage and I haven't laughed. Yeah, same um, here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, Brent Reed is also really funny. I'm part of a group called PTSR. We're a veterans group that we're, we're starting to kind of do a little bit of touring. We're scheduling right now mm-hmm. um, where we perform. Um, Veteran comedians. Yes, they're okay. comedians. <laughs> <laughs> we're a society. And we know. <laughs> No, they're comedians, and um, each of us are, are, you know, prior service. And uh, Lauren Harris-Gilders, hilarious. I heard her material for the first time at our show that we had at Shenanigans, which sold out, by the way, Um, and I'm very proud of that, even though it's half capacity. I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to tell everybody we sold out a show. Um, It's a great theater. There's a big traffic light. There's a lot to see. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, shenanigans is, is wonderful, but yeah, Lauren Harris shoulders, she blew me away and, and to see other female comedians, there's so few of us, she headlined for us and she absolutely earned that headline. It was great. So yeah, I would definitely say I just, I've heard more of Carl Paul and Brent Reed. So they're the first people that come to mind, but then she was just great. Well, how would you describe the local comedy scene for women? Well, I don't... Me personally, I'm so used to um, working in predominantly male 
environments. Um, being in the military, um, the last place I worked was a was a gas department. Um, where I did regulatory compliance, I was the only female. And I was also the youngest person there by 20 years easily. So, um, and I grew up with two brothers. So I feel right at home. I feel very comfortable. Um, And so a lot of the females that I'm around are similar. So I feel comfortable with them too. I think just in general, the comedy scene is so welcoming. I have never felt closer to a group of people than I have when I started comedy and improv. Just everybody's welcoming you with open arms. We're all ready to see each other mess up. You know, we're all ready to give advice and be supportive. And it is just, it's wonderful. Like just to, to really, you know, you can go on stage and you can eat dirt and then <laughs> um, you can eat dirt and then, and then, you know, you get off stage and you have people patting you on the back. Oh, you did well. Oh, I would change this. And because of how welcoming everybody is, you want that constructive criticism from them. It's never condescending. It's always just to make, you know, each other feel better. It's just, it's wonderful. So let's look to the future. What do you have coming up in April? So I have um, a show that is out of town in uh, April uh, being put on by Ray Scanlon. And then... Um, I'll be doing uh, homegrown comedy in April. And that's at Straight to AL. That is, at the Speakeasy, and Mm -hmm. I'm super stoked. I've done it one other time um, a few months ago, and they gave me, because I was still uh, newer, obviously, they gave me a shorter spot. And then um, Matthew Tate, who's also hilarious. I don't know why I didn't say his name earlier. Um, <laughs> so funny. He, he said that I'm going to get a full, like a, a longer, a longer slot on, on that. And I'm super stoked about that because um, that's another room that people are there for comedy because they actually, you know, they pay a, a cover to get in and, and everybody's facing the everybody's facing it's like a small corner yes it's, up. it's perfect mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and it's it's always a great crowd and I just I'm, I'm super stoked to be a part of that um and then hopefully in April you know PTSR we're working on more um on getting more shows we might have some in Chattanooga um Auburn and stuff like that Birmingham maybe Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of what I'm looking at right now in April. But you can always find me at an open mic. <laughs> like I, I, do, I do at least two open mics a week. Looking even more forward into the future for this year, what are your goals for this year as a comedian? What would you like to accomplish this year? In May, I will be going to Pensacola and I'll be doing, I have a spot at the uh, Pride Festival and I'm super stoked about that. I'm really excited to meet um, other comedians out of state. So I'm hoping that will kind of grow my sphere of influence, and I'll be able to travel a little bit more. Um, I guess that would kind of be that would kind of be my goal. I'd like to get out of Huntsville and just travel more with my comedy. And Huntsville, such a it really is a great scene. Um, but I'd love to be more in Chattanooga, and I'd like to try some in Georgia. I hear it's very competitive in Georgia, so I'd love to try out there. So I would say my biggest goal this year would be traveling with my comedy, If other than, you know, the obvious things like get better, <laughs> be better. <laughs> so uh, be better and travel. I want to end it with two questions that I asked Brandon Imes. He was the first guest, so I'm going to ask you as well, Raina. Right. Um, first off, I want to know, do you have any hidden talents? Hidden talents? Maybe none that I can say here. 
Um, the, probably some that you can hear in my comedy that okay. you can't hear here. Fair, um, fair. I don't. Okay, my, that's fine. Uh, my, my only talent is comedy. <laughs> Other than that, I'm a total bum. I'm completely, I'm a terrible person. Just <laughs> all the way around. <laughs> I am, I also have like this super annoying natural professionalism about me. Okay. And I, I hate it, but it's just part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a podcast with Scott Eason Talk about that. Uh, yeah, go. It's called uh, "Going All the Way" with Scott and Raina. It is a sex podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about sex, relationships, anything kind of down that avenue. Um, I like it because it's a very healthy podcast. Now it is upbeat and it's silly, but it's very informational. Um, and I, I've I've loved doing it. I think we've recorded eight episodes. We've put out about four. Okay. Um, so so wonderful um but we always open up the podcast and you know scott will ask me how i am and i'm like i'm doing well how are you and it's just it's my default setting Mm -hmm. just to be like this professional nerd and i cannot stand (laughs) that about myself i don't know if that's a hidden talent but um it's definitely just like you can talk to me and you'll be like what's you know she's not she's not laid back is she but they're like no she really is she just she doesn't know how to abbreviate things or be cool. So <laughs> where can they listen to it? Um, it's on Spotify, uh, Apple uh, podcast. I mean, uh, just about anywhere. Uh, okay. it, it's not a, a video podcast, so you won't find it on YouTube. But anywhere else, um, it's just a recording. And I have the link to it on my Instagram um, for Spotify. And then um, I know that uh, Scott has the link in his bio um, for the Apple Apple podcast. Okay, and the last question that I have, what is your favorite like popsicle stick joke to tell? Just a stupid joke that makes you laugh. Um, something that I came up with or something that... It could be something you came up with or something you heard from somebody else or off a popsicle stick, it doesn't matter. My favorite cheesy joke would probably be... Um, Hey, Katie. Yeah. Uh, I saw Simba walking slow. Do you know what I said to him? What? Mufasa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never heard that. Really. Mufasa. And you've got you've to put emphasis on oh, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I want, I want to hear, like, um, <laughs> Ronnie Dangerfield say that. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> Mufasa. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for being here today, Arena. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. This was wonderful. That was producer Katie Ganaway talking with Huntsville comedian Raina Cahill as part of a new series on the Rocket City's comedy scene titled Funny You Should Ask, which you can find at WLRH.org. Look under programs for the Arts Underground. Or tune in Saturday afternoons at 2 o'clock and catch this occasional series there. Coming up next, some great local music conversations as we get ready for this weekend's Taste of Panoply. We'll talk with the Warren Treaty and hear about the Jason Max Ferdinand Singers. Stay tuned as the Public Radio Hour continues. 
Nashville Symphony Orchestra wraps up this unusual season with two concerts this weekend. Maestro Gregory Voida chatted with me about these concerts, what's coming up in the next season, and what kept the orchestra going during these challenging times. You have to be true to your mission statement, right? And then our mission statement is to make the life of people better by providing live music. You can hear our conversation Friday in the 11 o'clock hour of Morning Blend. Hope you can join us. This is the Public Radio Hour, our weekly mix of special programs and homemade radio features produced in the studios of 89.3 WLRH. Still to come, a conversation with conductor and composer Dr. Jason Max Ferdinand about the exciting new choral project he launched recently at Live from London. But first, let's consider the live music explosion that's just about to happen this weekend in Huntsville's Big Spring Park and across the city during Panoply Weekend. One, two, three. Panoply is open to the public Saturday and Sunday. Saturday featuring music from Tyler A.K., followed by Them Damn Dogs, Wanda, the Joe Cagle Band, DRM Soul, Lana White, the Unique Live Band, and at 7.30, The Vegabonds. Then on Sunday, it's Alan Little beginning at 12.30, Alley Cat and the Strays, Midlife Chrysler and the Beasley Brothers, then rounding things up at 4.30. On Friday night, there's a ticketed event with music by the Lamont Landers Band, and Nashville-based husband and wife duo, The War and Treaty. The group says they got their name in a moment of frustration. Oh, it came from an argument. An argument? (laughs) Yes, we had like seven names for our band, and Michael kept changing the name of the band. (laughs) And this particular time, I was like, nope, we're not going to change the name again. And we got into this kind of debate about the name. And What were some of the iterations? Oh, my goodness. We had Empty Earth. We had Nine Years Apart, Mike and Tanya, uh, the Trotters, Trotter and Blunt. I mean, the name just... I ain't your sister. <laughs> I ain't your sister. We had a bunch of names. So if there's any band listening to this, they can take one of those. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you guys are based in the Nashville area. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so that's not too far from Huntsville, where we are. Um, I want to know, does the Warren Treaty have any Huntsville or Tennessee Valley connections? Yeah, I, I do. I definitely do. My, my family is from uh, all over from Alabama. And um, in Huntsville, one of my favorite colleges is their Oakwood Seventh-day Adventist College. And I, I love the Aeolians and Beautiful take singers. Mm-hmm. Take Six comes from there. Brian McKnight, Jonathan Slocum, the comedians. But my family, my father was born in, in Birmingham, and my grandmother was born in Huntsville. My grandfather was born in Huntsville, and the rest of my uncles and aunts were born in Huntsville as well. So the connections run deep on your side, Michael. Um, how about you, Tanya? No, my family is from Panama and uh, okay. North Carolina. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. The Warren Treaty was recently involved in a virtual socially distanced performance with the likes of musicians like uh, the legendary Sheila E., Bela Fleck, Rhiannon Giddens. So as a viewer, I loved it personally, but I wonder for you, the band, how did it feel to perform online with all these amazing people versus putting on a show together in person? Like someone was dangling a shiny red apple in front of us and we couldn't bite it. Um, the pandemic uh, stole the ability to create together from us. 
in a physical form, but to be able to be in that conversation and to see what we all could do miles apart and how blessed our world is to have technology and to have the virtual world was super cool. And to see Sheely, Alo doing their thing and Shamika Copeland and, and all of the artists, whether it be from Senegalese, from Madrid, and then matter where from all over the world to come together for a common purpose, which is peace through music. Can you talk a little bit more about what that project was? Well, I, I just know that the way it was pitched to us is, you know, just really bringing peace to our world and to our countries, unification, uniting, and the thing that Ty and I were, were more engulfed in was the, the inclusion of the races and, and that sort of thing. So that's all that we could speak to, but I'm sure there's so much more beneath the surface with this organization. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, music change, I think that artists, you know, since music began, it's always been the tool that brings people together in crisis and, uh, you know, for happy moments. And I think this was one of those moments when, it was pivotal to have artists like Sheila E. and the other artists from different countries come together, united, and making a statement, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, we're using our music for change. And you both have been posting a lot of sort of covers on Instagram during the, this pandemic, during the quarantine of it all. And I want to know, what are you most looking forward to now that touring is back on the table a little bit? Well, the immediate um, excitement that we have is um, the ACMs. We're performing this year, and we're the first black husband and wife duo to perform on the show. And we're joining a short list of African Americans who have been invited to perform. So it's exciting time to see our country, at least, making an effort to not only change the narrative, but to eradicate forms of hate by including us. So I, I feel really privileged and honored. And then to be able to come to Panopoli Festival and really um, take a part of such a strong tradition. Uh, we've, we've heard from different friends that are there uh, that that is a, a thing they look forward to every year is the actual festival. So uh, we want to come and, and, and tear the festival apart musically and really have a good time with you all. And we're definitely looking forward to spreading some energy and joy and happiness. and you Eating know. some chicken. <laughs> yes. Like I said, eat some chicken. And, just, you know, from now until July, I think people are really just going to be in a space where we're all healing and trying to figure out what this new world feels like and looks like you know, for mm-hmm. us all, because we've been so isolated from one another. A hug. We saw our, our our business manager the other day, and he hugged me so tight, and we hugged each other so tight. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, everyone misses that. You know, you haven't, you're in the same town or same, you know, place, and you're unable to touch each other, mm-hmm. you're unable to see each other. So I think just being able to look into a fan's eyes and see the joy again, is um, what uh, what I'm looking forward to. What would you guys say is the goal for your music to touch other people's lives? Do you want it to bring uh, peace and joy and unification? What What would you say? Completeness. I think if it 
meant to bring joy, let it bring joy. If it's meant to bring peace, let it bring peace. If it's meant to stir you up and to make you see the injustices as a threat, and let it bring that on too. But no matter what, uh, we hope that our music completes you and uh, gives you the thing that you've been missing. Mm-hmm. Tanya? Yeah, I, I look at it as when people hear our music or send messages or they come to shows, that it's an honor because it's an invitation from God, you know, for them to connect with us on a higher level. And, you know, everything is kind of deep for me, but I look at it as a, as a gift, you know, a mm-hmm. gift from God that these fans are coming to the show. And like Michael said, there's something that they are coming there for. And whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. then our hope is that they leave with it and it takes them on the journey that they want to be on. That was Michael and Tanya Trotter, also known as the Warren Treaty, performing Friday night at Panoply. Tickets at artshuntsville.org. You may have heard Michael reference the Aeolians, the world choir champions from Oakwood University, and perhaps the crown jewel of Huntsville's dynamic local music scene. The Aeolians are led by conductor and composer Dr. Jason Max Ferdinand, who is shining a new choral light with a group called the Jason Max Ferdinand Singers, who have just released an amazing online concert performed recently at the Live from London Festival. He stopped by our studios to talk with Morning Blend host Dory Nutt. Hello there and welcome to Morning Blend. I'm your host, Dory Nutt, and I'm so pleased to welcome my guest, Jason Max Ferdinand, back to the WLRH studios. Welcome, Jason. Thank you so much for having me again. This feels like home now. Well, we had such a great conversation a few months ago when you and your assistant director, Stephen mm-hmm. Murphy, yep. came by to tell us about the release of the Aeolians' brand new CD. And the Aeolians, of course, being the world-famous choir of Oakwood University, whose campus is just a couple of miles from here. Sure is. And Jason, you are the director of that renowned group. I am. So you had recorded the whole CD, finished right before the pandemic shut down, and then were able to do the post-production work remotely Mm -hmm. and at home, as they say. And you got the CD released during the pandemic to a very grateful audience who really (laughs) needed the musical comfort that your (laughs) aliens provided. But now, in addition to all of your responsibilities of directing the choral activities at Oakwood, your composing career, your family and community life, you've taken on another project during these trying times. Would you like to tell us about that? Oh, yes, yes, I I can. So it's important to know here that this concept has been something that I've thought about since 2001. Mm. Um, So it's not a a nascent concept. But um, back in 2001, I did my graduate recital at Morgan State University, and those members literally begged me to keep that group together as a thing. And, you know, I was young at the time and just didn't see how it could happen, so I said no. So here we are 20 years later, and I started thinking about it again maybe two years ago. And then COVID hit, so that Mm -hmm. shut everything down. But then the Voces Aid Foundation reached out and said, hey, Jason, um, would you be interested in doing our spring festival with the aliens? And I looked at the schedule and they gave me the timeline and I said, that timeline is absolutely too crazy. Like there's no way I could pull this off in 
four weeks or whatever we had. Mm-hmm. And then the manager of Voices Aid, Robin Tyson, who is a former Kings singer, he said to me, Jason, have you ever thought of doing this with a professional group? And then I said, you know, Robin, I, I have been thinking about it, but we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I'll, I'll be crazy. He said, Jason, think about it. And so I thought about it for two days. And I said, you know what? Let me just jump in and do this thing. And they, they have such a great platform. And I would have been stupid, I think, not to do it. So we jumped out and did it in all, all in six weeks. Oh, my gosh. Many of us choral fans got to hear Voces 8 when they performed here a couple of years yeah. ago, courtesy of the Huntsville Chamber Music Guild, and they were fantastic. Yeah. And moreover, they're so committed to furthering great choral singing around yeah. the globe so yeah. kudos to them and also yeah. what a prize for them to get you to put this group together <laughs> to perform yeah. since we're still not really able to attend concerts in person and large gatherings you have found a way you and Voches 8 foundation have found a way to bring this performance you've done to audiences all over the world how, how does that work well I, I can't take any of the credit for that uh, Voches 8 they are my heroes. They they seem to look into the future and, and, and seem to be 10 steps ahead of everyone else. So when the pandemic hit, they came up with the idea of doing these virtual festivals. The first one, I had no idea when it even happened. It happened last summer. And then I knew about this, the Christmas festival they did and, um, and now this recent spring festival, which is still going on. So they, f- they figured out a way to create this wonderful platform with all their fans all around the world. And people are logging in, buying their tickets. And you log on to a concert. It could be six, seven, eight hundred of you looking at this concert online and interacting if you join the chat. So they've really found a beautiful way of kind of keeping the community, the choral community, the music community on a whole together. Mm -hmm. And um, I can't take any of the credit, but they've figured it out. I viewed the concert, listened to it online. I mm-hmm. did what you do. I go on and yeah. you get your ticket there and, and you can watch at your convenience. But it, it's beautiful to look at. It's yeah. wonderful to hear. Let's talk about the concert that mm-hmm. people can see and hear all on their computer. I imagine that you plan your concerts for the Aeolians, your group on campus here, knowing what their strengths are, knowing <laughs> what the group sounds like and yeah. what they're capable of. With this group, They've never really sung together before. No. Did you just take a leap of faith and program good music? A leap of faith, and hopefully I made some educated decisions. Um, the members of this group, some of them I've worked with before. Some of them are were former Aeolians. Some mm-hmm. of them I did graduate studies with. Some of them I'd never met before. Oh. So it was a matter of getting a piece of paper and really trying to think of voice colors and thinking, okay, this may work with this, and then the personality. So it really was kind of like that thing. Uh, was a leap of faith. The repertoire had to be very careful. If this was a group where our debut was, you know, we had 10 rehearsals part, the repertoire would be completely different. But, we, you know, we're all across different parts of the country, and I had to be careful what we picked and hoping that it'll all come together when we met. And um, that's exactly what we did. So you you brought these people in from everywhere. They came here, um, performed at Oakwood University on the – Well, actually, no. Actually, no. No. We recorded this in Maryland. Oh, okay. We recorded this in Maryland. So I had to fly to Maryland. We had people from Nebraska, from New York, from Boston, from Kentucky, from all over. So, yeah, Texas. (laughs) Yeah, they came Um, there. So it it was a Herculean effort. Let's talk about some of the pieces on mm-hmm. the concert. You actually wrote one of these yourself. It's yeah. called Safe in Your Arms. Yeah. Tell us about that, Jason. So um, my wife and I, Mika and I, have a two-year-old, Jamie. And, um, you know, sometimes as musicians and composers, things come to you based on what's going on in life. And 
Jamie was born, and then there's this tune I kept going to the piano and playing over and over again. I had no idea what it would be. Then eventually, um, my wife is great at lyrics, so she came up with most of the words. I'll, I'll kind of say, okay, I think this part needs to say, uh, like there's a line that says, life goes down and up again. So being the musician that I am, I'll say, we need, the, the notes are falling down, so I need the words to match it. So, so we worked on it together and um, dedicated, this is Baby Jamie, um, safe in his arms. Basically, the words are coming like the baby was talking to her parents. Oh. And, um, and then towards the end, we have a lullaby section and um, the choir actually loved it. And uh, we added strings to it kind of like a few weeks before. Mm-hmm. So it became a new, a new piece all over again. So that's the story behind that piece. Well, I just loved it. And it meant so much more even knowing what yeah. it was about, where it came from. Yeah. And, and you yeah. explained that in the presentation. Right. So there's a world premiere of Cedric Dent's arrangement yeah. of He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. Oh, yeah. You describe it as South African music meets choral tradition in the style of Take Six. <laughs> Not to take the words right out of your mouth, but I listened, and, and you hit the nail on the head. That's and what it is. I'm sure it's going to become a standard in the choral world. I think so, too, and um, it should be published within the next few days. Uh, Walton Music has published it, and it'll be available. So I'm excited about that piece. Cedric is such a genius, and um, he brings all those things together very easily, I guess, for him. Um, <laughs> it's just in his blood, and um, it was one of the one of the. It was a great piece to sing. It's just a mm-hmm. ton of fun, and um, you just never know where it's taking you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll mention that interspersed with the music on this concert, there are clips of you, some mm-hmm. of your singers, your accompanist, John Stoddard. You're talking about yeah. the music, the circumstances, just the experience of being part of this group, and it's really fascinating. It's like we're all behind the scenes of this yeah. whole production from start to finish. And that was exactly intense. You know, it, it, it would have been nice just to sing the songs, but we thought it would mean more to kind of get into the heads and to the, the hearts of the people who were part of this. So I think it was important to hear from the singers and what they felt, especially during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, many of them hadn't done anything with a group, an ensemble for a year or more now. Oh. And it was just kind of great to get together and to hear how it all made them felt. And we, we, we thought if we shared that, then the people looking at us through the screen will, will feel that as well. It, it did bring a lot to the experience, I it, will say. It. And I mentioned your pianist, John Stoddard, mm-hmm. on this concert. Tell us how you came to know him. He is something else. John, John as we say, John is a problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually met John back in 1995 in Trinidad and Tobago, believe it or not. He was the accompanist for the Pine Forge Academy Corps, and they were in tour in Trinidad. 
And it just so happened that I was turning pages for John. Had, oh. had no idea who he was. Uh -huh. And then a couple of years later, I come to Oakwood here in Huntsville as an undergraduate student. And he was the accompanist for then uh, Dr. Lloyd Mallory, who was the conductor of the airlines then. So I've, I've known John all those years, and I've watched him play weekend in and weekend out and become great friends. And John moved from Maryland to Huntsville, I think, uh, 2006 or seven or something like that. So John lives right here. Oh, John is a. You can put John into a genre. John plays classical. Sounds like he can do anything he, do anything. he wants at any given moment. That's exactly it. Yeah. Great singer, great songwriter. He's a musical director for the great jazz uh, saxophonist Kirk Whalem. Uh, so he does everything. And, uh, <laughs> but when I needed these arrangements, John was the guy to go to for uh, the, the string settings and pipe organ and, and piano. So he, he's a genius. He really is. Well, he, he brought a lot to this concert because, like you say, this is not all just a cappella singing. Right. There is some, but there's a gorgeous string section. Yeah. There's a lot of good organ. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, John himself playing the piano. John, I yeah. said, John, if you're going to do the, the arrangements, you might as well just sit and play. So, <laughs> so he said, fine. Okay. <laughs> Jason, as I watched this, a question came to my mind. Yeah. Okay, I'll admit I'm an amateur singer, not a good one. <laughs> I sing in my church choir, and during this past year, we've done all the stuff. Mm -hmm. Virtual choir, uh, Zoom rehearsals, some rehearsals and recordings, distanced, wearing mm -hmm, masks, mm -hmm. and it's hard to sing in a mask. It seems yeah. almost impossible. And yet, you guys are doing it here. The Jason Max Ferdinand singers still sound fantastic, yeah. standing seven or eight feet apart yep, with yep. masks on. I don't know how you pulled it off, but did anyone that you approach in the group just say, you know, I, I can't do this. <laughs> I mean, obviously not. They're there, but was there any problem no. with that? So, so no. So um, there's a wonderful company called uh, My Music Folders that mm -hmm. specializes in making choir folders. The pandemic hit, and of course, that business kind of slowed down. <laughs> so they put their time and investments in creating this special, unique choral mask mm -hmm. that they call the Resonance Mask. And I found that my kids here at Oakwood, um, they find it to be very comfortable and not, not the usual mask that sits on your face because yeah. just, you just feel like you're about to suffocate. Whenever you breathe, you exactly. suck the mask into so, your mouth. So yeah. this mask kind of gives you a little bit of space between your mouth and you know there's some inches in there to play with. So so it's it's much easier to sing in. Now I do miss some of the, um, you miss that little buzz and some, some of the quality of the natural voice, but for being in, in the height of a pandemic, I mean, it's the next next best thing. So mymusicfolded.com. I'll give them a free I've plug. I've written this down. <laughs> I'm passing free, it on to all of my choir a friends. A free plug, the yeah. resonance mask. <laughs> well, so there are all of your musicians masked up and sounding great. Yeah. And, you know, it's an odd thing, but we're all so accustomed to seeing choral groups and orchestras, most classical music endeavors that have their personnel all in the same outfit, either oh, tuxes yeah, yeah. and black gowns or yeah. choir robes. But this group, the Jason Max Ferdinand singers, are all there yeah. in their Sunday best. And <laughs> I enjoyed seeing it. It's just a little out of the ordinary, yeah. but but very welcome. Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple things behind that. One, again, being in the middle of a pandemic, it's hard to kind of get a uniform, per se. Mm. And everyone was coming from wherever. But then part of the thinking was, you know, let's just... Let's just dress within our color code, but kind of come as we are. Mm -hmm. And and we thought that to be kind of liberating to, to an extent. So, yeah, that's that's what you see there with, with the uniform. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it very yeah, much. Yeah, thank you. And, and we're going to get to the point where we tell everybody how they can go about watching and listening to this yeah. excellent concert. But before yeah. that, I just want to say I've heard the old standard Amazing Grace 
about a million times. I don't know, 10 million times. I've played it. I've sung it. Yeah. I've seen it done every way possible. If you ask me, I'd say, I don't ever really need to hear that again. <laughs> but in the middle of this concert, yeah. we get to hear it done by solo singers. And it so moved me. Each verse done yeah. by different singers. Maybe they, they replicated verses. Yeah. It just blew me away. Was that planned? It was not planned. So Are you kidding me? No, it was not planned. So we have... The talent in that group is just absolutely bananas, right? And we yeah. were literally waiting for a camera guys or the sound guy to fix something. So we were just kind of waiting there. And again, like I said, because this group is so new and had never sung with each other, I was just trying to give a chance for everyone to hear everyone else. Well, it started and I thought, well, here's the star of the group, the soloist. And then it just kept going. And they're all good. It was wonderful. And we could have kept going on and on and on. But uh, the group is really, really special. We have some ridiculously talented people. So I said, John, just just start playing. And they just kind of jumped in. And they will sing. And they'll sing. I I mean, that right there is, everything is wonderful, but I I just, that blew me away right in the middle of hearing these guys And for so many people, that was their favorite part of the entire thing. (laughs) (laughs) Forget all the other songs we we, we put together. Yeah, but no, the group is just special like that, and I, I love them for it. Well, I I enjoyed getting to hear them talk about their experiences as part of this concert. Okay, so let's tell folks how they can, I'll be honest, not just watch a concert, but be part of this wonderful initial offering from the Jason Max Ferdinand Singers. It's easy. You go to the website, jasonmaxferdinandsingers.com, and you'll see, you can't miss the tab, and you can get your ticket there, and you could view it till all the way till April the 30th. It'll be up there, and you could look at it in your own leisure multiple times. Well, I, times. I mentioned that I had listened to the whole thing, the conversations, <laughs> yeah. the music, and then yeah. I went back and just listened to a lot yeah. of the music again. Yeah. 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 So just so. get your ticket on there, and um, the, the, they'll send you a, a link on a code, and you'll be right in. It's very, very, very easy. And, um, easy to do. Yeah. Even I yeah. could do it. So I think <laughs> almost anyone could. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very technologically right, advanced. Right. So if, it, if that scares you, don't be. Uh, right. Even I can do it. Yeah. So. And if people view this, I think they will come away with a sense of peace and comfort. Yeah. That's what it gave me. I want to thank you so much for creating this music and yeah. bringing these musicians together and so just welcome. bringing the entire experience to yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any plans for this group in the future? Was this a one-off or it, it, is this it's, a it's, start? It's not a one-off, and we, we are very intentional about that. Um, but because, like I said, it came together so quickly, we, we are kind of like playing catch-up now with putting okay. the building blocks in place. But yeah, we, we actually do have some engagements for 2022 already. People have called in and said, hey, we need you to come to this concert series. and this." So we, we are enjoying that right now. And um, hopefully we'll get together again in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, we In the works right now, we have a, hopefully a performing arts hall that, that wants to make us, uh, I guess, the ensemble in residence. Oh. So it seems like we'll be doing that in Ohio, you know, three or four times a year. So just keep the name in mind. I think we'll be doing some exciting things. Uh, matter of fact, on, on this, this coming Friday, I have a meeting with some of the creative heads in the group. I mean, all of them are creative, but with John and Cedric Dance and some other fabulous composers to try and figure out our creative journey and what we want to kind of make that. And I think mm-hmm. I think that's going to be an exciting discussion. So 
It Looking is an exciting to time for yeah. you, Jason Max yep. Fernand. Well, I know you will let us know what's coming up, and I we in sure turn will. will let the listeners know yeah. how they can hear you again in the well, future. Thank you so yeah. much. Uh, we we, we want to come to Huntsville. we got to get the group yes. to Huntsville. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll be there. Yep. Jason, before you go, I do want to mention that the CD that I spoke of earlier, the yeah. Aeolian CD that just came out earlier this year, mm-hmm. it's still proudly one of our thank you gifts here awesome. at WLRH. We're proud to offer this CD to those listeners who are able to make a donation to the station during our annual pledge drive. And of course, we are smack in the middle of our spring fun drive right now. So as we leave, I'll play a couple of tracks from that CD and you can all just go to our website, WLRH.org and click on the blue donate button and then choose the Aeolians CD as your thank you gift. And it's directed by our guest, Dr. Jason Max Ferdinand. And be sure to go online to hear his new group, the Jason Max Ferdinand Singers before the end of April. That's how long this festival exactly. lasts, right? Yep. So you've got yep. another couple of weeks. Yep. And Jason, thank you for coming by. We welcome you back anytime. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love coming to WLRH. <laughs> okay, well, now we'll listen to the aliens. Ethereal sounds from the Aeolians, the world's champion choir, directed by Dr. Jason Max Ferdinand, who just launched a new choral project called the Jason Max Ferdinand Singers, with an online performance now available through the Live from London Festival. Thanks to him for sharing some conversation. Also thanks to Katie Ganaway, Raina Cahill, and Tanya and Michael Trotter of The War and Treaty. You can find this entire show on demand or as a podcast at WLRH.org and on the WLRH mobile app. You can also find the individual interviews, and we hope you'll share those segments on your social media. The award-winning public affairs reporting on the Public Radio Hour is edited and produced in the studios of 89.3 WLRH. Local voices brought to you by local donations to us, your local public radio station. Thanks for listening and supporting us.